Every one of us in this room, we've got dreams, things with all our heart we'd really like to do. But I promise you the only way to get there is to make today count. Start and be faithful in the small things. You're listening to There Is Always A Way podcast with Dr. Jay Strack. And today's guest serves as the executive director of a nonprofit called Care for AIDS. He founded this organization in 2007 as a junior at Vanderbilt University, where he graduated in 2009 with degrees in economics and human and organizational development. Care for AIDS was started through a unique partnership with two Kenyan leaders as a response to lack of holistic care and overall marginalization of the HIV population. By empowering this generation of Kenyan parents to live longer, healthier, more productive lives, they are preventing thousands of orphans from being created each year. Today, there's always a way with Justin Miller. Now here's our host, Dr. Jay Strack. Well, good day, and I want to welcome you once again to There's Always a Way podcast, and it is my privilege today to be able to interview and interrogate and to uh, do everything I can to squeeze out of one of the most remarkable younger leaders I know. When you're my age, everybody's younger, unfortunately, but this young man is uh, wise beyond his years and has been used so effectively and has always been the epitome of a servant leader since I first met him. And that was a long, long time ago. This is Justin Miller, co-founder and CEO of Care for AIDS. And I'm telling you, that is a ministry that, uh, well, I'm gonna ask him to unpack it, but it is literally saving lives, touching lives, and meeting one of the greatest needs on the planet with whatever, with that explosion of HIV and what's going on. And they went, and I'm gonna let him tell the story, but they went to the spot, to where the fountain was, where there was just more uh, AIDS uh, cases documented at one time, at that time than anywhere else in the world. And there they went as college students to try to learn what can we do. Uh, And so this is a, phenomenal leader. And of course, now he's into raising budgets and and dealing with staff and training uh, workers. And I'm just telling you, and still at the same time involved in a lot of other causes. So this is a leader. You want to have your pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara out. You want to take some notes. Uh, And he's a young guy, but I'm telling you, uh, when he speaks, I, I take notes as well. So Justin, so good to see you, and thanks for being with us on There's Always a Way. Thanks, Dr. J. Yeah, I think we've known each other about 20 years now, and Man. a lot of the foundation of this work was was laid in a hotel ballroom or in SeaWorld or in Universal Studios talking about these principles of leadership. So uh, I think I've added a few to my my repertoire since then, but uh, but the foundation was laid uh, as a teenager in SLU. So thank you for for your influence well, and impact on my life. Well, thank you, buddy. You're very gracious, and I want you to know you've added a few uh, a few leadership principles to my uh, uh, vocabulary and what repertoire. So uh, I'm very grateful for just being able to learn from your perspective, and that's what I want to do today. Now, when we talk about care for AIDS. 
uh, before we even get into, I think there, you're up to 70 centers now. That's right. Goodness right. gracious. I, mean, I remember when you had 20. your first one and then three. And I've got to tell this story and to introduce you. When I first you know, heard about what you were doing in Kenya, I went to Kenya and went in deliberately a day or two early and decided to go to that community uh, the day before and ask questions about care for AIDS and, you know, what all you were doing. And not one person in that area had ever heard for care for AIDS. So the next day when we got together, I'm thinking, man, I've got to really, you know, I got to really help you realize, man, because you've been saying, you know, but, and I was so humbled, but yet uh, uh, felt a little foolish. I mean, I know we'll forget when you said, well, Dr. J, we don't, uh, we don't call it care for AIDS. We let, we put it in a local church and, you know, let the church be the answer and the source of resources. Uh, but also we let them name it. And in different communities, there's different name, different tribe, different, I mean, all kinds of factors. And I'm going to tell you, I never felt as foolish. I think here I was, explaining to you the importance of now you got to keep your word you got to be doing what you say you're doing and you had taken it even 12 steps beyond that so that was my first introduction to the fact that what's going on here is not the same old same old y'all are you're really led by the spirit and planning and strategic and mm -hmm. and so that was a great lesson for me you know sometimes we think we got all the answers but justin you got this uh vision as a junior at Vanderbilt, what were you studying at Vanderbilt at the time? What was your major if you was, declared it by then? I was studying economics and another major called human and organizational development. So I never imagined that. Well, that sounds exciting. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, I mean, it was, I was taking leadership classes and I loved it. It was, it was a great course. Uh, a lot of that I imagined would, was kind of in pursuit of my, what I thought at the time was my dream. My ambition was to go into the, the marketplace and lead an organization in more of a for-profit context. And, and that's when God like just dropped this huge, you know, uh, 180 degree turn into my story. And I got confronted with the issue of HIV and AIDS uh, as a uh, 18 year old at the global leadership summit, which, you know, I, that's something that, you always taught us is that we just have to always be learning and growing. And so I was at this summit and heard Bono, uh, you know, I'm sure Jay, you, you spent a lot of time listening to, to Bono in your youth. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, and by the way, the, a, a pop band became one of the great influences for a generation. I mean, they really seem to have a message and, you know, not, None of us are perfect, but, you know, they've done so much amazing good. But it's interesting. The Lord used Bono to really set this on fire in your heart. Yeah, I mean, amazing. God can God can speak to us through so many different sources. And, and in that moment, Bono was saying, hey, the entire world is, is rallying to the, the aid of people living with HIV and AIDS. But where is the church? Where is the church? Uh, and he said only... 6% of the church today feels a responsibility to, to help those living with HIV and AIDS. And, and that was just so heartbreaking to me that the greatest humanitarian crisis of our time, the church was on the sidelines 
of that. And I knew that um, if we didn't, we didn't mobilize uh, our church here in the U.S. to respond, like we would look back and see what an opportunity we missed to, to show love to people and to see the gospel go forward among people who I would really consider to be an unreached people group because the church has been so hostile to people with HIV that they don't want anything to do with the message of Christ. And so that just set something off in me that I began to explore and unpack. And nine months later, I found myself on a plane to East Africa for the first time to do a documentary about HIV and AIDS. And, and that was gonna be my um, contribution to this to this effort, but God had other plans that it was was much bigger than that. All right, now you gotta tell briefly the story because I've never forgotten it. Hey man, when we got the burden and we realized you went to a couple you, couple buddies, right? And, and 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 one thing I love about you, and although you've gone on and you've been kind of the you know, you poured a lot of your life into care for AIDS, you're always quick to. Uh, make sure everybody knows there were several brothers that were right there that helped me. I mean, you know, so that to me, I, that's a sign of a good leader, but you made a statement. We did what university students are supposed to do. So tell us, tell that real quick. Well, you know, I think we had uh, romanticized a little bit, this idea of going to Africa and having this adventure and shooting a documentary. And, and you have to, if you can go back in time that far, you can kind of remember that Invisible Children was riding this huge wave of support against what was happening with the, the LRA in Uganda. And so we even flew out to LA and met with the Invisible Children guys and said, hey, tell us what you, you know, what what's working and, and how did you go about this? And, and so it, it's a little bit cliche, uh, admittedly, for a bunch of college students to buy a video camera and go to Africa for a month. But uh, and, and honestly, the documentary, as I've said earlier, wasn't even uh, what we really came home with. I mean, we came home with a, a, a burden, a passion, and really a, a vision to see the church in Africa lead the way in caring for this marginalized group of people. So it was, it was what got us there was the documentary, but it definitely was much bigger than we had ever imagined. So why Kenya? Why did you go to Kenya? What led to that? And Tell us about that trip. Yeah, well, and, and the listeners will, will understand this, but the majority of the reason we went to Kenya was that that was the country that God just continued to impress on us. Uh, at every turn, it was Kenya. Uh, we sent out requests all over the continent asking for people to help us uh, help produce this documentary and who can host us and, and responses from Kenya just kept flooding in and so God was clearly just directing our path there. And it was, a, you know, as far as HIV goes, they have one of the top three or four uh, HIV burden of all of Africa. So it made sense to, to go there. So we ended up there on the ground and through a series of just real providential connections, God had put us together with these two African brothers named Cornell and Duncan. And they, they tell me to this day that they had no idea that we were students. They thought we were these seasoned professionals, uh, veteran filmmakers. And we step off the plane and we're 19, you know, four 19 year olds carrying bags that are as big as us. And they just said, what did, what have we signed up for? Are we <laughs> going to be babysitting these guys for a month? But the, the, the connection was instant. And, and these two guys 
have incredible stories and we can't even begin to do justice to them today. But they are, they, they both grew up in, in rural parts of Kenya, different tribes, tribes that are in constant conflict with one another. Uh, even being best friends would be looked at somewhat as a, as a taboo relationship, mm-hmm. but they were bonded by the, their common unity in Christ. They were bonded through this common vision of seeing people with HIV AIDS cared for. And over the next month, we just got to, to see firsthand what was happening with this pandemic. We talked to every person from every walk of life about how they were experiencing HIV and AIDS. And we started to put the pieces together and realize there is a huge need for the church to step in and, and fill the gap with what's missing here with HIV care. And not only will that help save lives, but it will also help transform eternities. And so we partnered up with Cornell and Duncan and about, it was about six months after we came back from that first trip that we officially launched our first pilot program to try to understand how to, how to meet the needs of this community. I can imagine sharing this initial vision with pastors uh, was uh, a hard sell, you know, coming from the West, boy, we got, we think you ought to be doing this or that. So how did you go about on the documentary part? Did you go visit churches and ask them what, you know, what they were doing and what they felt or what the needs were? Yeah, we, we did. We, we pursued churches really hard. And, and I I'd have to admit it was very, uh, unsuccessful and, and at times very discouraging. Um, that's not to say the churches weren't doing what they, they felt was best for their people. But at the time, if I put myself in their shoes, uh, we, were, we were right in the middle of the 2008 financial crisis. Churches are just holding on, trying to keep their staff on payroll. Got three 20 year olds telling this story about what's happening in Africa and and so resources were tight. We were young, we were unproven. And at the end of the day, which this was never really spoken, but there was, there is, and still today, there is a stigma around HIV and AIDS that unfortunately, I don't think many pastors really wanted to wade into with their congregations. And so we how many just, years I, ago was this? 2000 this was, thir- this was about 12, 12 to 13 years ago. It was almost like leprosy. I mean, unclean, yeah. you know, and there was that kind of, we need to keep them over there. And uh, how does the church reach, you know, if we're going to be the body of Christ. We got to be the hands and the feet. And Justin, that's one of the things that I've just always loved about this. That's how I knew it was from the Lord is you gave the church uh, a way to serve. I mean, no one can replace the church and you were smart enough to know that. And you've let that be the, the place people go to for all these resources. So I, I, so much I want to ask you about, but the strategy, you, as you did the documentary, you did the research, you found out that what was happening to most families, and I never will forget, you made it very clear in our, all of our students that have been involved and everybody that's ever through what we do have understood that in that community, if the woman, the mom is uh, contracted HIV, that 
is almost the kiss of death of the whole family. Uh, explain some of that to our viewers and listeners. Yeah, the power dynamics in a community are, are really tough. Uh, and it, it w won't be unfamiliar to some of you that the, 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 the role of the man in the community and in the family is one of really absolute power and authority. And so it would be unfair to generalize that all of the HIV cases are perpetrated by one person or the other, but as men, they don't really have to take responsibility for infecting somebody with HIV. Their word is always the one that's going to win out. The man can, if the wife is infected, can choose to leave really with no consequence for him, but most likely the, the wife and the children are then left together, the wife, um, and the mother to fend for themselves. And oftentimes the, the man is the breadwinner in that context. So you have a lot of women who are now not accepted by either part of their family because of her HIV status is kind of trying to enter the workforce for the first time to provide for her kids. Their own neighbors don't want anything to do oh, with yeah, them. They, clean, you know? Yeah. They feel so isolated. Many churches, unfortunately we say we don't, we're not welcome here. And, and all the just all of this just piles on. And at, meanwhile, her health is deteriorating because she's not able to practice proper nutrition and hygiene and, and adhere to her medication. And, and that was where we just saw these families were disintegrating. And unfortunately, the, the, the main impact was being felt by the orphans that were being created at this alarming rate. And so we knew that we had to put the pieces back together. We had to work first with the parents. And in many cases, we've been able to, to, to reunify families and bring husbands and wives back together and repair that relationship. And then sometimes if the family is, uh, is already separated and the wife, uh, the mom is a single mother, then we just have to work with her to help her understand how to provide for herself and her kids. And, and, our, and our hope is a part of our mission is to help prevent children from becoming orphans by strengthening the family unit. And that's been the street just devours them, doesn't it? The streets will devour yeah. those children. They'll be, yeah. you know, it, it's unbelievable what, what happens to a child. Justin, before, um, just before uh, our time to go into homes with you and to see firsthand what the churches were doing, but what y'all were doing in the home, how you took so, so many things to, I mean, just the fact that we'd go into their home meant the world because it said to the neighbors that important people think I'm important. I mean, you know, and and there were a hundred lessons that, uh, you know, I'd been all over the world, 30, probably 30 countries at that time. And yet I learned so much about the dynamics and, and what the odds were against those moms. So number one, to go into the, but just before that, I'd been in Botswana and had gone on a safari. You know, that's what you do when you go to Africa, right? You got to do a safari. And saw a lie, an organized lion attack where the mama uh, uh, hedgehog, uh, a warthog, right? The mama uh, had all the babies and they're running at an unbelievable speed with legs that long, you know, and the baby's legs that long, the babies are staying, but they're being chased by a lion a young lion and the lions had kind of surrounded. So when the mama went that way, there was another lion. I mean, and we saw what happened. They caught 
the mama and we saw mama be devoured and we saw about four of the six babies devoured. And I never will forget the, uh, you know, I asked our guide on the safari, I said, man, or one of the ladies on the safari said, what's going to happen to those babies? And he said, I think they probably got about an hour out here in the, you know, and it, there was that picture mm-hmm. that if mom is gone, yeah. something happens to mom, the kids are left out there with odds so overwhelming, especially in some of the slums, some of the, some of the, the rural areas, et cetera. So I just gone through that. And then we were in these homes, probably 10 or 12 homes of, of ladies that had three or four or five or six children, dad had bailed on them. And so here was a group of uh, college students who were smart enough to work with local churches and say, let's make the, not us the heroes, not America, not the West, we got the, but the church. Uh, And to me, it's one of the most anointed strategies I've ever run across anywhere in the world. Well, thank you. Yeah, it it really, I believe it's it's God inspired and and really Cornell and Duncan have just been so faithful at at bringing about this program. And uh, they've allowed me to just spend a lot of my time uh, telling the story and inviting partners into it. But having two indigenous leaders like Cornell and Duncan and a staff of 200 other indigenous uh, team members who are actually doing the work it, it just, it makes all the difference. And, and the, the local churches, as you said, being the, the front, the front man, the, uh, the face that the community sees as providing this relief and the support is, is, is really game changing, not just for the clients we serve, but for the churches too. The churches are growing, um, because oh, yeah. communities are seeing the church live out its, its purpose of, of caring for the, the hurting and, uh, and being this, uh, force of change in the community. So uh, it really is seeing uh, a new level of growth and vibrancy in the local churches as well because of the way they're leading this program. My favorite way to describe what you guys are doing in Africa, and now it's not just uh, Kenya, and then it became Tanzania. Probably during this broadcast, you'll be adding another. <laughs> another we, are Uganda, we are in Uganda as well. In Uganda now. Wow. So, uh, it's unbelievable, but I want to make sure I got the strategy right because I want all of our young thinkers to begin to think, you know, different ways to meet some of these needs. You know, one of my favorite things to encourage students, the planet is on fire. Now, we got a lot of fires here in America, so we're not near as cocky as we were maybe four or five six, seven years ago, you know, here's what you need to do. Here's how you handled. I think America's had to uh, realize we've got fires right here. We've got to put out, but find a fire somewhere in the world and put it out, you know, and, I mean, cause there's, the, you, you're, you can't meet all the needs, but find one. But when you do that, Justin, what you guys have done, and I say you guys and many, many ladies, of course, but what what y'all have done through Care for AIDS is the closest thing to the New Testament that I've seen, the model, and a way to watch those, what we read on the pages kind of come to life. But then I also learned through you guys that the resources, the medicines, and uh, some some real life-saving drugs uh, are being made available and they're there, but 
here is a mom. She's so weak. She can barely stand up. She's got seven or eight children. And so she's for, she has no car, no transportation, no real education. And she's got to figure out how to go to five different places to get medicines. You know, somebody with means could drive over and get the medicine, you know, but, and so here, here in reality, you went out and figured out a way, all right, how do we help get all those resources, make them available and not only make them available to help save her life, but then food and care. But then also, Justin, while we were going into those homes, you had things going on where they were learning trades. The mama and some of the children were learning some trades. So to me, what a, and then of course, they go to the church and that's where they get the counseling, the resources, the food, uh, the medicines. Uh, it's unbelievable. And then the church begins to go to their home and what y'all are leading folks to do and teaching that mom a vocation so that will save those kids from being consumed like those baby uh, warthogs that we saw, you know, that would be consumed. So I just, I, I love the strategy. I just okay. believe, and it's obviously proven. Uh, I think I read the other day, there's 20,000 families that have been served because, you know, we can say 20,000 individuals, but in all honesty, haven't been in some of those homes with you guys. Uh, it could be seven or eight times the 20,000, but counting the children and, and wow. what all happens. It, it is uh, Care for AIDS is a ministry for a time such as this in a ministry that is worthy of support, uh, worthy of uh, young people saying, I want to send something every month, worthy of a church going what would it take to start a care for AIDS clinic in a church? And uh, tell us a little bit about the model, Justin. I know you, you know, you're full of Jesus and full of uh, telling the leadership journey and trying to encourage folks to be involved, but you also have the responsibility of hearing all these cries for help, come over and help it. The Macedonian cry that Paul went through, you know, and you're being tugged and all these, and you know, we've only got this, this is what it takes, you know, and somehow the Lord has got us to this point. But so walk us through a couple things tangibly that a businessman or a pastor or a youth pastor with his youth group, but what are some, are students and highly motivated students that listen to the podcast? What is it uh, you would share with them about the Care for AIDS strategy? Yeah, well, as, as you said, we are, we're very prayerful and strategic in how we choose where we wanna go next. And we, when we go into community, we, we com commit really for about a decade to be in that community. We don't think this transformation can happen overnight. So over the next 10 years, we might you know, invest upwards of three or $400,000 in care. So we do like enter that with a, a certain, but you're not, you're not going, Hey, come for a week of Bible study or a week of vacation. Bible. I mean, this right. is a real ongoing commitment. It is. And so, and that's really where the change happens. Uh, and we can serve seven or 800 families in that time, but more what we're trying to do is we're trying to change really the culture of that community to, to think about this issue differently and we get to send out all of our clients as to reshape how HIV is being thought about. 
But from the U.S. perspective, we are currently, we're still 100% funded by uh, partners in here in the U.S. And, and on average, it costs us about $40,000 a year to operate everything that goes into one of these care for AIDS centers. So we have people that partner in, in many different capacities. Uh, you, can, you can do the math and we have 80 clients per center. So it's about $50 uh, per month. I'm sorry, it's $500 per client for them to be able to go through this nine month program that we do. But we have partnerships, you know, individuals that, uh, that $40 a month to help support a client. We have businesses and churches and individuals who've adopted a center said, Hey, we're going to, like you said, help create one of these. We're going to pray for it. We're going to, we're going to support it financially. And, and maybe God willing, one day we'll get to go and visit the work that we're helping to support there and, and, and encourage the people in person. And so we've had individuals who've started chapters uh, at their school. Uh, we've had small groups who've adopted a center together. Uh, but we, we really believe that there is, there is power in that connection between uh, a group of folks here uh, and the group in East Africa, uh, not just so that, that we can serve, we can send money, but also that we can be on the receiving, <clears throat> excuse me, that we can be on the receiving end of the blessing of them praying for us and them uh, encouraging us. So it really is this amazing picture of, of kingdom. Unity. So a university student can do, you know, I, I love the adage that says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And so we get overwhelmed with all these needs. And when they hear about the orphans and what happens to the mom and still HIV is not going away. Everybody's focused on the virus and all the stuff going on that we have. And it's been tragic what's happened, some of the consequences, no doubt. But we're also talking about something that's been around and gonna be around. And especially uh, in the, some of those settings in certain parts of the world, that we have a responsibility to. So a college student can get sorority or a fraternity or a team or a class, you know, or whatever it may be. And I know you've got hundreds of examples. And the main thing I love, Justin, and obviously I'm coming across like a homer here because I'm such a huge fan of yours. And, and plus knowing the story of Cornell and Duncan the fact that even those two speak to each other coming from those rival tribes and what a message that is. And then how it's, what a message it is to the church that, Hey man, we're, we better get our act together here and, and, and make a difference, you know? So on about 20 fronts, this is new Testament, new Testament, new Testament, new Testament. This is biblical Christianity. And I love the fact that businessmen, families, pastors, young people can not only do some things right now to really help, and we'll have all that information available for you, but I want you to know you can actually go and see what's being done. And um, I promise you, it's a life changing. Their families have gone together. And uh, you talk about a family trip that will leave a mark on your children and they'll never forget to realize mom and dad and what we're, we're doing by what we save and what we send is make saving lives. So Justin, I love the fact that we can uh, not just trust, but we can verify, we get to, we can go and, and y'all are so good about man, you know, planning trips and making it make sense for families and, you know, so 
Uh, so many questions I want to ask you, but I hope everyone will prayerfully consider, and especially our churches, what can we do to maybe help sponsor one of those centers in, in one community? I mean, what a great start. I mean, that's a, that's a good start. And, uh, you know, I always hear when people go, well, you know, I, I, I want to do something. It's the least I can do. But that's normally what most of us do is the least <laughs> we can do. Justin, uh, you and Cornell, you, that, what a great leadership lesson, by the way, the relationship that y'all have. And, and, and I love the, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the most neglected leadership lesson on the planet is the ability to build meaningful, lasting relationships. And, and Justin, I'm proud of the fact that you are living that out. You're showing what happens when you have a brotherhood and you do life with some folks and you you're there for each other. So it's a, it's a great leadership lesson. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing partnership. I mean, God really knitted us together in this and we, we bring very different perspectives and uh, personalities to this work, but uh, it's tempting as an American. I think at times we, we naturally, think that we in some way have some uh, superiority uh, maybe over some of the indigenous leaders and, and we can end up creating programs and leading in such a way that really puts ourselves in an elevated position over those in these countries. And really my whole desire for the past 13 years is just say, like, guys, I just, I just want to serve you. You guys, you know, the culture, you know, the context, God gave you this vision. I will, you know, we can, we can still rumble. We can still have discussions. And, but like, I really just want to submit. You're like brothers. I've been with you yeah. when I thought I was, in, we don't have to pull the car over and step outside and settle it. I mean, yeah, you exactly. know, bro, you're brothers, you're doing life and we you're are. going, well, no, we can't do it that way. Well, what do you mean? We can't do it that way. We're doing that way in three bit. Well, but it's not working in this. I mean, so yeah. it's, it's a great thing to be able to witness. Obviously, I wish there was a way everybody could witness that firsthand. And I know there are times when, when you're available. And, and of course, we know several on your staff that are just on fire. I mean, I want you to know, man, they're ferocious. Uh, they love care for AIDS and, and are 100% committed. But you also have trips where Cornell and Duncan are here. And, you know, I mean, it's just been fascinating to watch how you have served churches in America and you allow us to really do what God's called us to do. And uh, I, I love the fact you encourage folks to do it through a denomination. You're not, there's, this is not a separate flag out here. That, this is a body of Christ. Uh, so it is a wholesome New Testament uh, nonprofit. I tell everybody, you know, I tell my board all the time, Justin, you may want to Hey, listen, guys, I hope you realize that when it comes to having a ministry that's nonprofit, I am one of the best in the world. <laughs> I'm the best at the world. Not, we're not making any profit here. And the thing about Care for AIDS, what comes in is what goes out. There's not huge, elaborate, ornate uh, surrounding. I mean, th this is a lean, mean machine if you will, off uh, all terrain, four wheel drive vehicle. How do we get, how, what about this village over here in this corner of Uganda or Kenya or, and of course, Tanzania. Now, Justin, I would be, uh, 
I want to talk about, let's talk about your book because we're going to put that on the screen and I want everyone to get this, read it, and then have your children read it. You know, I, 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 we're a big believer that it's the places you go, the people you meet, the books you read uh, that will transform your life and what you memorize. And this is one of those books that will, on so many levels, uh, for teenagers and your children when they're, you know, a certain age, maybe 12, about that age, you know, to begin to understand some of the real realities and the harshness. It's a jungle out there. And I know we're talking about Africa, the continent of Africa, but it, it, it's the streets are a rough place in the United States are in the large cities are the jungles. I mean, it's just a rough, rough time. And so I think once they're 12 or 13, this is a book I would want encourage my children begin to read, but mom and dad ought to read it, pastors, youth pastors. So tell us about Beyond Blood. <laughs> what a title. I looked at that, knowing the history of Africa, and even what's going on today in Nigeria. What a title, Beyond Blood. But primarily, I know you're trying to talk about the tribal. I mean, there's this is such a perfect title, but Beyond Blood, Hope and Humanity, in the forgotten fight against AIDS. Is it still forgotten? I mean, when you look statistically, Justin, I know y'all are working awfully hard, banging the drum and turning the spotlight, yeah. doing all you can, but it, is it still a forgotten story? I believe it is. And I, I think there might've been a time when it was really in the American consciousness, but I think for the past decade, the, the world has kind of moved on and, and, I don't think many people I talk to every day, just one of their first reactions is, is this really still an issue? Uh, I thought we kind of solved that. And, and really the reality of it is, is we're still looking at anywhere between seven or 800,000 people dying every year from HIV and AIDS. So it is, it's still very much an issue. And, and this book was, like you said, it was supposed to raise attention to that particular cause. And also just to, to tell this beautiful story of how, um, two guys from opposing tribes in Kenya and a college student from America. Uh, honestly, none of us were the likely candidates. We know that's how God works. We were not the people that you would say that you would think God would choose for an important mission, but he chose us, um, limited experience, limited resources. And, um, and we just, we stepped out in faith. And, and I think the dynamics of, uh, how these three points of view came together to build this organization. Uh, it really just has, has God's hand all over it. And, and I think the story it's really written just as a story. And, and you know, personally, I, I probably sp spend more time reading just leadership books, but I think it would be like a refreshing change for some people to read. Yeah, um, no question. Well, but it's the thing I love about it is not only is it heartwarming, and encouraging to know, man, look what believers are doing. Look what this college kid and, and several buddies started. Look what these two uh, tribesmen did, you know, that had their own challenges and their own problems. And they go, we got to do something to help her. I mean, you know, on every level, uh, it just, it all comes together. So for me, it, it is a, uh, you're not much of a leader if the heart's not being constantly enlarged and charged and you know we'll think of a few other things that rhyme and you know and make them alliterated but anyway uh care for aids is uh, not only a world-class organization i'm so proud of the way you go about it the accountability 
uh, answer any question, make any size gift you feel like, oh my gosh, we're the most important person. I mean, you know, you guys are doing it right, but the book is a, is a great, great read. And we're going to make it for some of our youth pastor uh, ministry leaders and some of our leadership, because we're doing majors and minors and those at Charleston Southern University online. But we would like to make that one of the recommended or one of the required reading books, because I, th- I want it in the mind and heart of all leaders so whether you're studying worldview or youth ministry or leadership, this is a book that can help move the needle. Now, Justin, before we go, uh, I, got, I must ask you, uh, as you know, we, we, at Student Leadership, we try to talk a great deal about how the future belongs to those that are prepared. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like for you to talk to the parents for just a moment, because in my humble but accurate opinion, uh, you're standing tall, but you're also standing on the shoulders of a mom and dad that love you or proud of you and uh, challenges that they've had to go through and meet. And I've watched you with your brother. I mean, you know, there's so much that comes together to making champions for the Lord. And uh, what advice would you give uh, to parents that they could be doing to encourage and model and challenge uh, their teenage students or college students. Well, you're right in saying that I've definitely stood on the shoulder of mom. They really understood what you talk about a lot in SLU, which is uh, that, hey, we're going we're gonna to take you seriously as young people because we believe that you have the, the, the capacity to lead. And not just when you're 40 or 50, but you can lead in a meaningful way now. And, and so I think my preparation, as you said, I mean, my parents were, you know, following Jesus with their whole heart. They were serving my brother who has special needs. And so I was absorbing a lot of stuff that I couldn't even really understand at the time. But then as a young person, my development, not just as a student or an athlete, was really built around developing me as a leader. And part of that was SLU. Part of that was my dad's somewhat unorthodox method of basically I earned my allowance by reading leadership books uh, and, and really them encouraging me to, to take risk and to lead in my school and in my university. And, and, and they always just, my dad always put me in environments that seemed to be well ahead of my years, but he said, no, you belong in these places and you, you have the ability to lead at these levels. And so I think there was just a, a confidence that was built in me uh, through you and through my parents. And then I was equipped with the resources and skills that when this opportunity came knocking at 19 years old, I felt like I could step into it. And, and as you know, I think it's, I think it's maybe a wooden quote it says when opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. And I'm thankful that at 19, when that opportunity came, I had already done a lot of the work of preparation. So let's not, mm. let's not just, you know, tell our kids that, you know, we can, you know, one day, you know, when you've put in your time, when you've, you know, paid your dues, you can do something of, of real impact because uh, 13, 14, 15 years old, I think um, these students are, are ready to lead. And we've seen that time and time again, honestly, the ability to step out and lead something as bold and audacious as care for AIDS was probably was easier at 19 than it would have been today at 33. 
Um, and there's a lot to that, but there is just a, uh, but that, that's just what I believe that I was, I was ready to step into that. And I didn't feel, you know, fully prepared, of course, but I don't think we ever do. Ever do. Yeah. Calls us to, but that's why he wants us to rely on him and rely on others. And your, your dad is one of the great leaders. I know one of the great servant leaders, his fingerprints are all over student leadership university. He's taught our students come and spoken to teenagers, even though he's been in front of some of the largest gatherings of leaders in the country on every level. Uh, he's written many outstanding books that we've encouraged our students to make part of their uh, personal leadership journey and their personal development plan. So he is a great, incredible model. I love watching y'all together on certain trips. Uh, I'd love, you know, we did in a, uh, you know, we've done some events in different parts of the world. And the next thing I know, dad's deciding he's going to go with you on that. And then, and then afterwards, you know, hey, we're in Africa doing this, but, but we're going to go climb Kilimanjaro. I'm, I mean, you know, just those kind of experiences. So I want to say to all of our busy businessmen and businesswomen and all the challenges that are going on right now, but boy, with the time you spend and your model, how you, you know, live your life in front of your kids, I believe is what puts a sweet taste in their mouth to want their life to count and for the things of God. And, and Justin, you, you certainly uh, fulfilled many of their prayers and dreams. You also made an excellent choice, I have to say, uh, as a young man in college, uh, you know, at a time when a lot of folks are kind of feeling saucy, uh, as you were going through those years, you'd made some promises to yourself about what kind of young man you wanted to be so that you would be in a position for the Lord to give you a very special young lady whenever that time came around. And watching you um, and getting to know uh, uh your wife and, you know, of course, what back even when y'all were just beginning to be engaged and et cetera, it's been a beautiful, beautiful experience. So in order to do what you're doing today, you've made some good choices along the way, but when it comes to marriage and, you know, really trying to put yourself in a position to get God's best, uh, remember that line from Indiana Jones, the last crusade, choose wisely. Right. right. Choose why. And so I, I want to just say, as I look at your life, I, choices you make seal your fate and you've made good choices. And if we just get in the habit of trying to really do the right thing at that moment, while there's a window of opportunity, and if we're obedient in those things, the Lord seems to give us more and more opportunities. But I yeah. want to congratulate you on uh, how you handled your, your dating life and how you handled the marriage process. You've done good. Well, thank don't, you. And don't yes. mess it up. Don't mess it up. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying, trying not to. But yeah, she is uh, an incredible um, wife and mother and, and also just partner in this ministry. I mean, it, to not have her full support behind this would have been impossible just with the demands of it. But um, to that point about obedience, Dr. J, I, I still think a lot about the quote that you shared a lot through SLU, which is that big doors of opportunity swing on small hinges of obedience. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think, like you said, to my parents and everything, I just was able as a young person to do the small things of obedience that opened up some of these doors. And, and I'm thankful that I had the influences to help guide me in that.
One last question, my man. You're talking to a bunch of Justins sitting in college, a hundred major choices and still ahead of you in front of you. What would you say, knowing what you know now, okay? And uh, what you believe about how there's always a way, uh, what would you say to a, a young Justin in college what would you what 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 are a couple of things you wish you would have known then that you now know? How can we give them that head start, the benefit? You know, they're positive, they're committed, they're they're trying, they're zealous, you know, all the things, doing so many things right, but are there a couple of things that you wish you could have said to you or somebody would have said to you or maybe reminded you of during those tastes? Yeah, there, there are a couple of things that come to mind. The first thing I would say is that, that really the most the ultimate thing I think we should be pursuing is obedience. And I, I just mentioned it, but I think we, as a young person, I had trouble kind of separating out what, what I wanted and I thought was my best for what God's best was for me. And it wasn't until I could walk in obedience to what God had for me that I really felt like I came alive and that I could really fulfill the purposes that he had. And we have a lot of people telling us what we should do. Hmm. And, and I had people telling me what I should do. And, and, I, and I couldn't hear God's subtle whisper, uh, the Spirit's whisper over that. And so at times I felt really conflicted until I, I kind of said yes to say, God, I'm going to surrender and, and be obedient. And that obedience leading a nonprofit out of Vanderbilt was, was not a, was not the sexy choice. No, what I mean, but that was where God, God, yeah, you should be going on to advancing your career and, you know, mm -hmm. taking advantage of that, that education, but yet, and one thing I love about it, Justin, you've been able to really serve the Lord but you weren't uh, taking ministry-related courses. I mean, you were preparing for the business world and the world of innovation and 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 uh, investment and and economics. But yet, you know, the Lord can take us, and because we're prepared. And by the way, thank heaven for some of those skill sets. In, in things you've learned because <laughs> every day you're probably relying on them. That's one thing I didn't have. Yeah. You know, you can ask my board, you know, they'll go, man, you know, Jay, maybe you should have taken some like economic courses along the way or some, you know, instead of all the, all the Bible subjects. So. And, that, uh, and just, I would say that the second part to that is that it's not just the obedience, but one of my favorite lines is that really describing the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. Wow. And yeah, I, for sure. I think that obedience now having been in place for 13 years, we've seen how God has been able to work through that. But our generation, we are easily distracted. And Jay, you taught me so much about focus, but having that focused obedience towards what God wanted me for me, and then working on that day after day for 13 years, has been what has allowed care freights to be successful. And wow. so, you know, and you've said it a hundred thousand times that the easiest way to be defeated is to be distracted. And, and I think that focus piece has been central to our, our success. So that is, I would say that obedience and focus are two things that if you're going to find that there always is a way, 
I think those two things are going to go hand in hand. And if you're a teenager or a university student or maybe a, a dad with three small children, uh, those are two things that you still have to focus on. <laughs> you have to focus on focus. You got to focus on obedience because you got a hundred new needs, responsibility, demands, being tough, you know. So uh, it's interesting that the more things change, the more some things remain the same. Justin Miller, I am so grateful for you. I marvel at the way God is using you. Uh, we are uh, looking at, into the future of SLU, and we're believing we're, you're one of the handful we've asked that we felt like we really want to learn from and hear from and get some advice uh, for navigating the future, for going on. And uh, I just admire you. I admire the young man you are, the, the husband you are, the dad you are, the son you are, the brother you are. And uh, you've been a great friend. So God bless Care for AIDS. I hope everyone watching or listening, I don't want to use the phrase circle back around, but I want to say, well, just make a note. Make sure you learn. Take, some, take five or 10 minutes and let's really learn about this significant ministry and ask what can we do to make a difference in this global battle that's being carried out in such a New Testament, Christ-honoring way. I love it when we try to make Jesus the answer uh, to all these problems because uh, he is the ultimate answer. Justin Miller, love, peace, and good luck. Thanks, Dr. J. Thank you, buddy. And thank you for listening to There's Always a Way with Dr. J. Strack. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend by taking a screenshot and posting it to your story or tagging us on Instagram or Twitter at the letter JSTRAC007. If you haven't yet, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast. Because of you, others are able to be encouraged and equipped by these incredible episodes.